as Abigail prepares to read for us the, the scripture, uh, I want just wanted to share with you, there's a little, uh, a little saying, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this. And this is the saying, it says, A man there was, they called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. A man there was, they called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. And what do you think this means? Post your thoughts in the chat. What do you think that means? A man there was, they called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. So you post your comments in the chat. In the chat, And as you do, Abigail is going to read for us today's scripture, which is Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 14 through 23. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 23. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left, when I left in Macedonia, no church entered in partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even the Thessalonica, uh, you, uh, you sent me help for m- my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payments and more. I am well supplied, having having received from Aphrodite's a fragrance offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to, to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thank you, Abigail. So again, the saying which is actually from Paul Bunyan, who was an English uh, writer and a Puritan preacher who's most famous for having written the allegory of the Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan wrote this. A man there was who called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. And I'm curious, did anyone post anything in the comments as far as thoughts about what they think that means? There were, there were, there were. Um, let me see. Uh, Malia says... It means uh, the more uh, he gave, the more he had in Christ. Uh, store up our uh, store up our treasures in heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more you give, the more you have. Uh, yeah. Yep. So the, yep. So about giving and storing up. Where are you storing up your treasures? And as we give, in fact, we're actually storing up, which is kind of counterintuitive. To, to give away, don't we think we have to hold on in order to store? Don't we need to cling to in order to have? And instead, this little dog girl says, the man there was, they called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. And the reason why I quote that this morning is because the Apostle Paul writes that this is an apt description of the church in Philippi. This describes well that church. In fact, you might say a church there was, they called it mad. The more they gave, the more they had. And I think that summarizes what Abigail just read for us. You know, in this passage, Paul is 
celebrating and thanking the church in Philippi for their mad generosity towards him. You know, we remember that, you know, we've been, we've been studying, if you've been studying Philippians with us, you might remember that this was written as a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Now, the Apostle Paul was 800 miles away from Philippi at the time, languishing in a Roman prison. And the church in Philippi, who were very close to Paul, had heard about his condition, so they took up a collection and, and, to send their, and sent their gifts by a man named Epaphroditus. And last week, in verse 10, we heard Paul thanking the church in Philippi for their concern for him and for the gift that they sent. You know, however, Paul, as we heard last week, he wanted to assure the Philippians that while their gift was most helpful to him, and he was so, so thankful for them, they didn't need to worry about him. That he was grateful for the gift, but he said, don't worry about me, because as we heard last week in verse 12, I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound, in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And what was that secret? Well, for those of you who were with us last week, you know that the secret is that you said, I'm in Christ. I am in Christ, and so my contentment is not something that can be gained or lost by my circumstance or by my possession. I have Christ, so what else do I need? You can take everything from me, and I'm not going to be diminished. And you could give everything to me, and I'm not going to be increased. The secret is Christ, and being in Christ, either way, my contentment is unaffected because I remain unchanged. And his statement begs us to ask the question, do you have such contentment? Do I have such contentment in my life? Do we have such contentment in Christ, such satisfaction in him, that whatever we face, whether plenty or want, abundance or need, we can say, I'm content, because I have all that I need. And if you want to know more, or if you don't know this kind of contentment that's in Christ, I would love to talk to you. You can get in touch with me through our church website, chestnutstreetbaptist.org slash contact. And I'd love to tell you more about the contentment and the satisfaction that we find in Jesus Christ that allows us to face any circumstance, any situation, and yet remain content. But this week, Paul is continuing on the thought that we studied last week, and he continues to thank the Philippians for this incredibly generous gift that they sent him by Epaphroditus. And he goes on into a general discussion of generosity. A general discussion of what it means and what it looks like and why generosity is so important. And look at verses 14 through 16 that Abigail read for us. He, he, he describes generosity. He says in verse 14, you shared my troubles. Verse 15, you entered into partnership with me. Verse 16, you sent help for my needs once and again. You know what's obvious from this? Is that the Philippians entangled themselves into Paul's trouble. They took it on as their own. They partnered with him, and they risked themselves for the sake of Paul's good. Are we willing to do that? I mean, how often do we say, well, I, I don't want to get involved in his trouble. I don't want to get entangled in her issues. And, and we tend to hold one another at kind of an arm's length, kind of trying to help people from, from a distance without getting ourselves entangled or getting ourselves dirty. Now, healthy boundaries are a good thing, but we need to beware of boundaries becoming a convenient excuse not to love. Healthy boundaries are good, but beware when boundaries become an excuse not to love. And how do we know the difference? You know, obviously from the text, the Philippians were not feeling manipulated or guilted or forced 
into supporting Paul in some unhealthy endeavor. The Philippians were not bailing Paul out to allow him to continue in harmful behaviors or patterns. The Philippians didn't enter into Paul's trouble to spare him suffering the natural consequences of his own unwise or unresponsible decisions. Yeah, because if you're doing those things, then yes, it might be time for you to check your boundaries. But it's very easy for us to just hide behind boundaries because we simply don't want to inconvenience ourselves. Because we simply don't want to become uncomfortable. Because I simply don't want to sacrifice what I have or what I want for the good of another. And the church in Philippi partnered with Paul. They shared in his sufferings. They risked their own good for Paul's good. Their giving to him, Paul says, was generous. And so is yours. Is your giving so generous? You know, do we give in such a way so that we truly share in one another's needs? Are we willing to risk our own good for the sake of another? Are we, do we willingly, will we willingly do with less so that others might have what they need? We are called to generosity. We are called to generosity. And friends, are you a generous person? Will we be generous people? Paul says three things about generosity, then, in verses 17 through 19. He teaches us three important concepts about why generosity is so important. First, generosity, we find, is an investment. Look at verse 17. Paul says the gifts that the Philippians generously gave him would ultimately be for their benefit. You know the phrase he uses here, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You know, the ESV translation has a footnote that says, that explains the profit that accrues to your account. The profit that accrues to your account. I mean, it's, it's a business metaphor that he's using here. Friends, what are you investing in? What are you investing your life in? And what return will you receive for your investment of time, of money, of your very life? You see, Paul writes to the Philippian church, you generously invested in the spread of the gospel, and there will be a good return on your investment. Your generosity is not going unnoticed. The Lord will reward your investment. It reminds me of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 6. It reminds me of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 6, where he said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's what you actually said in the comments when I first asked you what that little doggerel meant. You, you quoted Jesus here, where Jesus said, where are you investing? Because, friends, our generosity is an investment. It is an investment. And friends, where are you investing? Where are you investing your time? Where are you investing your talents? Where are you investing your treasure? Where are you investing yourself? And what kind of a return are you going to be getting on that investment? Generosity is an investment, Paul says. And more than that, generosity, Paul says, is worship. In verse 18, look. Paul writes and says, the generosity of the Philippian church was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You know, that term fragrant offering is one that we see throughout the Old Testament. It was usually used in conjunction with the sacrifices that were offered by Israelite worshipers. And the sacrifices were said to be a fragrant offering before the Lord. 
And while we no longer need sacrificing animals because a final and a perfect sacrifice has been made in the death of Jesus Christ, Paul's emphasizing here that such costly and generous giving to further the work of the gospel is pleasing to the Lord. Friends, our generosity is worship. Your generosity is worship. Now, sadly, there have been times in the history of our church family when when things have gotten back to me, when I've heard that people have said things like, oh, the church has money in the bank, so they don't need my giving. Or the church is meeting budgets, so I don't have to give. And friends, the Bible responds to this attitude and says, you're missing the point of generosity. You know, generosity ultimately is not for the sake of the recipient, it's for the sake of worshiping the Lord. Generosity is ultimately not for the sake of the recipient. It's an act of worship to the Lord. Paul says, a fragrant offering to the Lord. So what Paul is saying here is that a failure to give generously is a failure to worship. Paul tells the Philippian church, I know that your giving was ultimately less about me and more about the Lord. Give not to need, but be generous in order to worship. Church, give, let your giving be less to need, but let your generosity be about worship and be about offering a fragrant offering to the Lord. Because generosity is worship. So Paul says, your generosity is an investment. Your generosity is an act of worship. And finally, in verse 19, he says, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. Your generosity cannot be greater than the generosity of our Lord. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. A church there was, they called it mad. The more they gave, the more they had. Paul says, we are freed. You and I are free to give generously when we remember our generous God. Because he supplies our every need in Christ Jesus. Now, as we learned last week, and as Paul's own life demonstrated, this doesn't mean that you and I are going to always be prosperous. This doesn't mean that we're always going to avoid suffering. In fact, Paul wrote, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. And the secret is Christ. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You know, I can be content. You can be content because we're in Christ and therefore we're given all things. To be given all things is not to be increased, to be diminished. Taken all things is not to be diminished. We can be content because we know God will provide generously exactly what we need. And do we trust what he provides? Do we trust what he gives? God supplies everything that we need in Christ. You know, Christian author Joni Erickson Tata wrote, Just think, every promise God has ever made finds its fulfillment in Jesus. God doesn't give us grace. He gives us Jesus, the Lord of grace. If it's peace, it's only found in Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Even life itself is found in the resurrection and the life. Christianity isn't all that complicated. It's Jesus. If we are in Christ, if we have Christ, We have all we need. We can give generously of what we have because we know we have what we need in Christ. 
Friends, we who live by faith in Christ can never outgive our generous God. So we must learn to live and to give generously. You know, over 20 years ago, there was a man by the name of Scott Lewis, and he attended a conference with evangelist and founder of Campus Crusade, Bill Bright. And at that conference, Bill Bright challenged the people to give $1 million to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, Scott heard that, and that was beyond what he could even imagine, because he owned a little machinery business. And that machinery business was generating an income of under $50,000 a year. Well, Scott got a chance to talk to Bill Bright, and Bill Bright asked him, well, how much did you give last year? And Scott felt pretty good. He said, well, we gave $17,000, about 35% of our income. And without even blinking an eye, Bill Bright looked at him and he said, so over the next year, why don't you set a goal of giving $50,000? Now, now, Scott thought Bill was mad, or maybe he hadn't understood, because $50,000 was more than he had made last year. But Scott and his wife decided, they said, what if we trust God for this challenge? And what if we ask God to do the impossible? And friends, God provided in amazing ways. And with a miraculous December 31st provision, the Lewises were able to give $50,000 that year to the work of Christ. A man there was, they called him Matt. The more he gave, the more he had. You know, that's not the way we usually give. We usually give based upon what's available. We usually give based upon what's left. We usually give based upon what's reasonable. But what if we started doing things like setting ridiculously impossible generosity goals? What if we prayerfully committed ourselves to such mad generosity to the work of the Lord? How might the Lord provide? How might the Lord answer? Might he answer us the way he answered Scott Lewis? Might he answer us the way he answered the Philippian church? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. How might the Lord meet our mad generosity? And how might you find out? So Paul teaches the Philippian church, generosity is a spiritual investment. Generosity is worship. Generosity shows faith in our generous God. And if those things are true, church, what does your generosity say about where your heart, where your treasure, and where your investment is? If that's true, what does your generosity say about your worship? If it's true, what does your generosity say about your faith in God's generosity? And Paul concludes this letter, as we heard Abigail read for us. He concludes it with glory, greetings, and grace. Glory, greetings, and grace. He proclaims glory to God in verse 20. He offers greetings to the church in verses 21 and 22. And he prays for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with all in verse 23. Glory, greetings, and grace. And in the same way, we conclude our study of the letter of the Philippians. We proclaim and we live to the glory of God. We offer greetings, welcome, and love to his church. And we pray for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be known and to be experienced by all. And all of these things, church, all of these things might best be accomplished by our mad generosity towards one another and towards this world. A church there was, they called it mad. The more they gave, the more we had. Friends, will that be said of us? How might we test and might we find if this is true?
Are you willing to try? Let's pray together. Lord God, teach us. Teach us to live generously. Teach us all to invest eternally. Teach us to worship freely. Teach us to trust increasingly. And knowing our needs are all met in Christ and in Him alone, help us to generously give to others for the sake of Your Gospel, for the sake of Your Kingdom, and for the sake of Your glory, now and forevermore. Amen.